In my early days, I faced a pivotal moment in my career. Instead of following the herd into traditional finance, I charted my own course. Despite skepticism, I founded my investment firm driven by a belief in economic truth and fiscal responsibility. Through perseverance, I established myself as a leading voice in finance, proving that sometimes blazing your own path is the best way to succeed. To get what you want, sometimes you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. That's what Harry's did. Seeing people tricked by expensive razors, Harry's took a stand. Instead of pricey options, they offer high-quality razors at a fraction of the cost. That's why when it comes to grooming my face, I use Harry's. Harry's understands the value of quality without breaking the bank. Their razors provide a smooth shave every time, and their shaving gel leaves my skin feeling refreshed and moisturized. So don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com gold. That's harrys.com gold for a $3 trial set. We all make mistakes, decisions that we regret, things we'd like to do over, like not buying Bitcoin when you first heard about it at $1. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. At times, therapy has helped me and my loved ones in many ways. Therapy isn't just for those who've experienced major traumas. With the right guide, you can discover effective strategies to minimize distractions and truly connect with your needs, setting the stage for a more balanced life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a life therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit betterhelp.com slash gold today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash gold. The Peter Schiff Show. Today's podcast is sponsored by Traders Summit, and they're going to be hosting a free online conference this weekend, April 8th to the 10th, and I'm going to be doing one of the keynote addresses. So join me and some other great speakers. They've got Jim Rickards, Danielle DiMontino Booth, Mark Faber, Jack Swager, Mark Minovini, Mark Yusko, and Peter Bookbar, and many others. To register, go to www.tsevent.net. All one word, tsevent.net, to register for free. I'll see you there. I want to begin today's podcast by announcing that I've joined the Locals community. I now have a page on the Locals Network, and every episode of the Peter Schiff Show podcast is now going to be available on Locals. And for those of you who have complained about the commercials on the podcast, the Locals versions will be commercial-free. Of course, they're not free. If you want to subscribe to my Locals page, it is going to cost $5 a month, but believe me, it'll be more than worth it because not only are you going to get the podcast commercial free, but I am going to be creating some special content that will be unique for my Locals page, as well as doing special live events, including Q&As. And of course, the people who join me in my Locals community will be able to interact with one another without having to worry about trolls or bots or computer algorithms, which I've noticed are becoming a bigger nuisance on my other social media platforms. 
Also, if you're interested in hearing my podcast earlier, I am going to be uploading the podcast to my Locals page a day before I load them to Shift Radio and my YouTube channel. Right now, I do a podcast generally after the market close during the week, and then they get uploaded later in the evening. What I'm going to start doing, I'm going to be able to get those podcasts uploaded quicker to locals. So I will upload them as soon as they're finished on locals early that evening. Then they will be introduced the following day on Shift Radio and on YouTube. So if I record a podcast on Tuesday evening, later that evening, it will be available to listen on locals It'll then be available the following morning on Shift Radio and on YouTube. So if you want to listen to it a little earlier, you can listen on Locals. If you don't mind waiting, it's going to come out at a better time in the day because I think by introducing the podcast earlier in the day, I'll open myself to a wider audience because I think a lot of people aren't listening to the podcast when it comes out late in the evening. I think if it comes out earlier in the day, more people might listen. So I'm going to try to broaden my reach by releasing the podcast earlier in the day. But if you don't want to wait, if you want to hear them as soon as I record it that evening, well then join my Locals channel. And there is a link in the description or the notes to this podcast where you'll see a link to go to that Locals page where you can sign up. And now turning to today's action in the markets, the bond market really got beaten up again today. In fact, it was probably one of the bloodiest days yet, with yields on U.S. Treasuries hitting fresh highs for this move, which means bond prices are making new lows. Yields on the two-year U.S. Treasury now above 2.5%, is I think where we settled. The five-year is now at 27 That is the highest point of the yield curve we invert from there down to the 10-year which is at a new high of two spot five five the only u.s treasury security that did not hit a new high for this move was the 30-year treasury which ended up at two spot five seven the yield on the 30-year did hit two spot six four four i think a week or two ago That is the only security that didn't see a new high today in yield and is, of course, the most overpriced of all the U.S. government debt, meaning that if you're going to buy any U.S. government bonds at all, and I wouldn't buy any, the ones that you should least want to buy are the 30-year bonds because that's where you're going to lose the most because you are overpaying the most to get that security. And this reflects the complete lack of understanding on the part of bond investors that I have been talking about on this podcast with respect to where inflation is headed. Bond investors are convinced that the Federal Reserve is going to put this inflation genie back in the bottle and keep her locked in that bottle for 30 years. They are completely clueless. And when they finally get clued in, this is the debt security that is going to drop the most. And therefore, investors in this particular security will lose the most. And losses in the bond market today spilled over into losses in the stock market. Finally, the stock market has kind of been ignoring the bond market at its own peril. Well, today, the Dow Jones dropped just over 280 points about eight-tenths of 1%. S&P dropped a little more, 1.26%. Russell 2000 dropped almost twice as much, down 
0.36%. The NASDAQ down just over 2%. And the Kathy Wood ARK Innovation ETF, which has been enjoying a pretty big bear market rally, got clobbered by 5.7%. That bear market rally may in fact be over and we're now headed down to new lows. And that's still a long way down, but it might not take long to get there. But you know, the longer the stock market shrugs off what's happening in the bond market, the more vulnerable the stock market is to a crash. Because it really reminds me of 1987, where the bond market was getting killed for quite some time while the stock market continued to make new highs. And then eventually, the traders in the stock market finally started to worry about the bloodbath in the bond market. And then we had the 87 stock market crash, which finally put in a bottom in the bond market because the day of the crash or even the day after the crash, we had a huge rally in the bond market. But it was a crash in the stock market that finally put an end to the route in the bond market. And that's basically what I think is the only thing that could save the bond market in the short run would be another crash in the stock market because that would cause the Fed to do an about face on their fight against inflation because that was the catalyst for today's bond market bloodbath was vice chair nominee Lyle Brainer giving a speech and all of a sudden this uber dove has become a super hawk and you know there's nothing hawkish about anybody on the Federal Reserve but many of the people on the Federal Reserve are pretending to be hawkish. I mean, they can't actually be hawks, so they're chicken hawks, but they don't want to acknowledge the pretense, so they have to put on a good show. And, you know, the markets, they don't really understand that these guys are bluffing. And so when they talk tough, the markets pay attention, especially when the person doing the tough talking is Lyle Brainer, because not only is she going to be the vice chair at the Fed, so she's going to be the second most powerful FOMC member, so her opinion certainly carries a lot of weight. But if she has traditionally been in the dovish camp and now she's a hawk, well, that is very scary for the bond market, and that's what sparked the intense selling today. But there's a lot more selling yet to come because yields are still much too low given the reality, A, of how bad inflation already is, and B, how much higher the Fed is going to have to raise interest rates to actually do something about inflation. And when Brainerd began her speech today, she actually threw down the gauntlet right off the bat by quoting Paul Volcker. And Paul Volcker, of course, was the last Fed chairman to have to deal with some serious inflation. And he dealt with it in a way that the current Fed isn't even contemplating. But Lyle Brainer invoked memories of Volcker and quoted him with respect to the Fed's dual mandate, where Volcker said that it isn't an either or proposition and that runaway inflation would be the greatest threat to the continuing growth of the economy and ultimately to employment, meaning that if the Fed allows inflation to run away because it's more concerned about employment, that runaway inflation will actually destroy employment. And so if the Fed really wants to maximize employment, it must make sure that we don't have runaway inflation. And of course, even admitting the possibility of runaway inflation is a very dangerous reality for the bond investors to face. But Lyle Brainerd is mentioning that possibility 
and reassuring the markets that the Federal Reserve will do everything that it can to make sure that we don't have runaway inflation because that's the only way to secure its other mandate, which is full employment. And she also quoted Arthur Burns, another Fed chairman that dealt with inflation and quoted him. He said, there can be little doubt that poor people are the chief sufferers of inflation. Of course, the lower your incomes, the more you suffer when the cost of living goes up. It's the people who are living paycheck to paycheck. When those paychecks are diminished by inflation, well, their standard of livings take the greatest impact. And of course, if inflation causes wealthier people to have to curtail their savings and investment, that also hurts poor and middle-income people because it's that savings and investment that grows the economy that allows lower-income and middle-income workers to experience increased real incomes because it's the capital investment that increases labor productivity and leads to rising living standards. If you're already rich, you have a high living standard. So you're not going to feel the impact of inflation the way somebody who's middle class or poor who is hoping to improve their standard of living and inflation makes that harder because it diminishes the capital that is available to invest because the owners of that capital are having to dip into their savings in order to pay for the rising cost of living. Now, of course, maybe the lower income people don't even have any savings to dip into. It's their paycheck that gets dipped into and that's why they're suffering. So Brainerd began by talking about how the Fed is committed to fighting inflation and admitting that the biggest losers from inflation are the poor. And of course, the Biden administration is holding itself out as the champion of the poor. And therefore, in the name of fighting for the poor, the Fed is going to fight inflation. She admitted, and this is an exact quote, inflation is much too high and is subject to upside risks. She didn't just say inflation is too high. She said it's much too high. And of course, that is an understatement because it is really much too high. But to hear Brainerd admit that it's much too high is significant. And then she also said that the risks are to the upside. Not only is it much too high, the risk is that it's going to get even higher. So that is a big admission on the part of the vice chair nominee. And then she went on to say it is of paramount importance to get inflation down. Again, elevating the priority. It's not employment that the Fed needs to worry about. It is inflation. It's much too high and the Fed needs to bring it down. And she said, quote, we will continue tightening monetary policy methodically through a series of interest rate increases and by starting to reduce the balance sheet at a rapid pace as soon as our May meeting. And those are the words that I think scared the bejesus out of the bond market because as soon as those words were spoken, bonds began to tank and stocks soon followed. Now, first of all, these are fighting words, right? We're going to have a rapid reduction in the size of our balance sheet and we're going to start as soon as May. Now, first of all, if the Fed really were as committed to fighting inflation as Brainerd is pretending they are, why wait till May? I mean, this is just the beginning of April. Why wait another month, month and a half? Start shrinking your balance sheet right now. I mean, if the Fed was committed to fighting this much too high inflation, why did they continue to grow their balance sheet even after they acknowledged that inflation wasn't transitory? In fact, if the Fed really were serious 
about fighting inflation, interest rates wouldn't still be at one quarter of 1%. Yes, they're talking about now we're going to raise interest rates by 50 basis points at a time. But when you're already this far behind the curve, you can't wait. The Fed should be raising interest rates right now by several hundred basis points, not waiting for future meetings to gradually roll out these rate hikes even if they do it at 50 basis points at a time, because at the rate inflation is accelerating, the Fed risks falling further and further behind the curve while it's waiting to fight this inflation monster that it already acknowledges is too big. So start fighting it now. Raise rates aggressively right now. Start shrinking your balance sheet right now. Of course, the Fed is not doing any of that. The Fed just wants to talk about doing that because it hopes it can talk about it instead of actually doing it because it really can't. Now, that doesn't mean they're not going to get the process started. They very well may have to follow through initially with some 50 basis point rate hikes. They may actually have to start shrinking their balance sheet. But soon after they start, they're going to stop. As a public person, I am hyper aware of safety and security. Delete Me finds and removes any personal information you don't want online, and it makes sure it stays offline. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web, and in the process, helps prevent potential ID theft, doxing, and phishing scams. Sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts will take it from there. Delete Me sends you regular personalized privacy reports showing what information they found, where they found it, and what they removed. Delete Me isn't just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information that you don't want on the internet. So take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. Now at a special discount for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com gold and use the promo code gold at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash gold and enter code gold at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash gold, code gold. Let's talk finance. Wouldn't it be convenient to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one spot? Yahoo Finance does just that. It consolidates your portfolio views and offers expert analysis, making it easier to manage your investments. Let's not beat around the bush. You want to grow your portfolio, fight inflation, pay off debts, and achieve financial freedom. Yahoo Finance provides the news, data, and tools to make that happen. You may think you've covered all the bases, savings, researching, and investing smartly. But to truly excel, you need Yahoo Finance in your corner. A holistic perspective is crucial for success, and Yahoo Finance ensures you have it. With a massive community of over 90 million users monthly, Yahoo Finance is here to guide you on your path to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. 
the more aggressive the Fed gets in this inflation fight, either just talking about it or actually doing it, the quicker that fight's going to end because they're not going to win the fight against inflation. Inflation's not going down. It's the economy that's going down. It's the market that's going to go down. And the minute that happens, well, the Fed is going to abandon its pretend inflation fight and have a whole new fight to try to prop up the stock market and prop up the economy. In fact, the only reason that Brainerd and anybody else on the Fed is even talking tough about inflation is because they claim the economy is strong enough to take it. Here's another quote from this speech from Brainerd. Given that the recovery has been considerably stronger and faster than in previous cycles, I expect the balance sheet to shrink considerably more rapidly than in our previous recovery with significantly larger caps and a much shorter periods to phase in the maximum caps compared to 2017, 2019. In other words, the Fed is going to be aggressive in fighting inflation this time. I mean, more so than last time. A, not only because there's more inflation to fight, but B, the economy is much stronger. It's not much stronger. It's just a bigger bubble. It only appears stronger to the Fed that doesn't understand that this artificial strength is purely a function of all this monetary heroin that the Fed has ejected into the economy. And now they're threatening to remove it. And they think that somehow the economy is going to stay high as a kite if they can take away the drugs that are the reason it's high. It won't happen. She then said that I expect the combined effect of rate increases and balance sheet reductions to bring the stance of policy to a more neutral position later this year with the full extent of additional tightening over time dependent on how the outlook for inflation and employment evolves. Now, first of all, you'll notice that she says that the Fed is going to bring policy to a more neutral position. Why neutral? Why not tight? If, as she admitted, inflation is much too high and the risk is that it gets higher, why would you want to bring policy to neutral? How do you fight inflation with a neutral stance? You need an aggressive stance. You need to go on the offense to fight inflation. You just can't be neutral. You have to have tight money. No central banker has ever successfully won a fight against inflation being neutral. Neutral is like you're not even in the fight. You got to start the fight. You got to be aggressive like Paul Volcker. She talked about Paul Volcker, but she's not talking about doing anything close to what Paul Volcker did. Now, she did qualify her statements by it depends on the outlook for inflation and employment. And of course, I think what the Fed is going to be more focusing on is employment. Doesn't matter how she quoted Volcker when the unemployment rate really starts to tick up. It's not going to matter where the inflation rate is. The Fed is going to start focusing on unemployment as if creating more inflation will actually create more jobs. It won't. But the political pressure will be intense for the Fed to do something, even if it can't, even if it can just pretend to do something. And in pretending to do something about unemployment, it actually makes inflation worse, which in the long run and maybe even the short run will make the unemployment problem worse, too. I want to take a pause and remind everybody to join me this weekend at the Trader Summit. They're hosting a free online conference this weekend, April 8th to the 10th. I'm doing a keynote. These are the guys that tried to get 
Kathy Wood to do a debate with me. And of course, Kathy Wood chickened out. But I'm going to be there along with many other great speakers. Jim Rickards is going to be there. Danielle DiMartino Booth. Mark Faber, Jack Swagger, Mark Minavini, Mark Yusko, Peter Bookbar, and many others. The aim of the event is to bring together a number of leading experts and discuss many of the important issues that the world is facing today. Inflation is roaring higher, central banks have been backed into hiking rates, and their changing policies are bringing volatility to the markets and threatening to weaken economies already struggling with stagflation or threatened by it. Furthermore, we have geopolitical events such as the Ukrainian crisis that are making trade and investing particularly challenging. The Traders Summit event is a great opportunity to hear many different points of view and ideas from world-class individuals. This event is brought to you under the umbrella of the Traders Summit portal at www.traderssummit.net. That's Traders Summit one word, dot net, where every day you can access a variety of top quality posts, videos, and interviews. This is going to be my third time participating in the conference, and if you haven't participated yet yourself, now's the time to do it. Just go to www.tsevent.net to register. It's free. Again, tsevent, one word, dot net. Registrants will be automatically entered into a raffle. There are two iPhone 13s up for grabs thanks to the generosity of the event's platinum sponsor, 8Cap. So register now and I'll see you there. Of course, very few traders, either in the bond market or in the equity markets, really understand what this would portend if the Federal Reserve actually followed through with really what amounts to a threat to rapidly shrink its balance sheet. Now, it didn't define what rapidly shrink it is, but you're talking about a $9 trillion balance sheet. So let's say the Fed is talking about shrinking it by a trillion dollars a year, which in my mind wouldn't even be that rapid, but let's just say it's a trillion dollars a year, which is not quite, what is that, 80 billion a month or something like that? I'm not even sure that would qualify as rapid. Maybe you'd have to say $2 trillion a year would be a rapid reduction. But let's say it's somewhere between $1 and $2 trillion per year that the Federal Reserve is going to reduce its balance sheet. That is basically the same thing as selling $1 to $2 trillion U.S. Treasuries into the market. Because even though the Federal Reserve may not be selling, maybe it may simply be allowing shorter maturity debt to mature, although I'm not even sure that you could do that and still rapidly shrink the balance sheet. I'm not really sure what the weighted average maturity of that balance sheet is. So in order to rapidly shrink it, it may in fact involve actual liquidations. But regardless, if the Federal Reserve does not roll over debt that is currently on its balance sheet when it matures, the U.S. Treasury has to find an alternative buyer for that treasury. So whether the Federal Reserve sells the treasuries itself or whether it forces the treasury to sell those treasuries, more treasuries are for sale and somebody has to buy them. In addition, if you look at the current projected deficit for the U.S. government, it's two and a half trillion dollars. So let's say you just throw an extra one and a half trillion on there for the rapid shrinking of the balance sheet. You're talking about four trillion dollars that the U.S. government is going to have to borrow this year. Well, borrow from whom? Who is going to lend the U.S. government four trillion dollars? Because in the past, when the U.S. government was running these massive deficits, the biggest lender was the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve was actually buying a lot of the treasuries that the treasury was selling. Well, now, not only is the Federal Reserve 
not going to buy any treasuries from the treasury, but it's going to be selling treasuries in competition with the treasury. So whatever the actual deficit is, not only does it have to be fully funded from the private sector, but the private sector also has to step up and buy all these bonds that the Federal Reserve is selling. Now, I'm saying the private sector because I don't think foreign central banks want to be net buyers of U.S. treasuries and step in front of this freight train. We know that China doesn't want to buy anymore. Certainly, Russia can't buy anymore. I don't think the Saudis want to buy. In fact, I think central banks all around the world, not only do they not want to buy more U.S. treasuries ahead of this onslaught, but they probably want to sell some of the treasuries they already own. So not only will there need to be buyers for $4 trillion worth of treasuries in one year being sold by the Federal Reserve and the U.S. government, but what about all the treasuries that foreign central banks want to unload? Who are going to buy those? And not only is there a question of who is going to buy all these treasuries, but where's the money going to come from? It's not like private sector investors are sitting on trillions and trillions in cash. The only way they're going to come up with the money to buy these treasuries is to sell something else. So they've got to sell some other bonds that they own. They've got to sell some stocks that they own. And so what's going to happen to those markets when there's mass liquidation in order to free up money to buy all these treasuries? And by the way, who in their right mind would even want to buy these treasuries at these low rates? So in order to generate sufficient demand to encourage private sector buying, you need much higher rates. Yes, the Federal Reserve didn't care about buying at low rates. It didn't care how much money it lost. I mean, it creates the money for nothing. So what does it care if it loses dollars when it creates them out of thin air? But private sector lenders who actually earn their money and who are concerned about a real return above inflation, private sector lenders don't want to lend money at a negative rate of interest. They need a positive return. So in order for the Federal Reserve to actually do what Brainerd is pretending they're going to do, interest rates have to go considerably higher from here in order to free up the cash for the government to borrow. But in freeing up that cash, other markets are going to have to tank because assets are going to have to be sold in order to get that cash. But of course, if interest rates were to rise to a level high enough so that the private sector would actually want to put $4.5 trillion in the treasuries this year or $4 trillion in the treasuries, what would happen to the rest of the economy? It would implode. What would happen to the size of the U.S. budget deficit in the enormous recession that would inevitably follow a spike in bond yields to that level? The economy would would implode, which means the budget deficits would explode. So instead of $2.5 trillion deficit, we may have a $4 trillion deficit. And then add the trillion, trillion and a half, two trillion that the Federal Reserve is selling. And now it's an even bigger sale. And so now rates have to rise even more to attract additional buyers. And it just compounds the problem. So none of this is possible. In fact, for all the talk about how rapid this balance sheet reduction is going to be, The only thing rapid about the quantitative tightening program is how quickly it's going to come to an end. Because even if they actually get to start the program, assuming the markets don't crash before the May meeting, which they very well may do. I mean, markets could crash at any minute. The bond market is close to a crash, which means the stock market is close to a crash. And if there's a crash, then all these plans are off. 
None of this is going to happen if the markets crash. Because if the markets crash, the Fed is going to know that a recession is not too far off. And in fact, the yield curve is already signaling recession. Just the Fed is blind to this signal. But if we get a stock market crash, then obviously even the Fed will understand that a recession is right around the corner. And knowing that, it will not continue with this policy. So the tougher the Fed talks now about fighting inflation, the quicker it's going to give up the fight. And the more lopsided inflation's victory is going to be. In other words, the more they talk tough about fighting inflation, the more inflation we're going to have. Because the tough talk about fighting inflation undermines the bubble economy, which ultimately causes the Fed to create even more inflation to stimulate it. And it's just that the markets still haven't figured this out yet, which is why gold sold off at the same time that bonds and stocks sold off. In fact, gold was up about $10 an ounce before Brainer's speech. And as soon as she uttered those words about quantitative tightening starting in May, gold tanked. Now, it wasn't a huge decline. I mean, gold only ended up down maybe 11, 12 bucks on the day. I think the lows I saw it were maybe down about $15. So gold did not get beaten up as much as the stock market, but gold stocks did. The GDX was down 2.2%. The GDXJ was down 3.4%. There were some gold stocks that were making 52-week highs this morning when gold was positive, but gold again followed the bond market down on this hawkish talk. But as I've said before, this is all bullish for gold. The, The tougher the Fed talks about fighting inflation, the more inflation is ultimately going to be created. But the fact that the Fed is acknowledging that we have a big inflation problem is good for gold because fighting inflation is going to prick the bubble in the stock market, in the bond market. It's going to push the U.S. economy into recession, which means we're going to have even more inflation because once the Fed recognizes the inherent weakness in the economy, then it's going to pivot from hawkish to dovish, regardless of what Paul Volcker may have said or done in the past, and regardless of what's happening with inflation, especially in front of the midterm elections as we get closer and closer there. And so ultimately, all of this tough talk leads to more inflation. Talking about shrinking the balance sheet now simply means they're going to start expanding it that much sooner. In fact, the sooner the Fed starts to reduce the balance sheet, the sooner it's going to reverse course and start blowing it back up again. It took a while for that pivot to happen last time because the Fed didn't go from quantitative tightening back to quantitative easing until COVID-19. And there was a longer period of time that transpired between the end of QT and the beginning of QE. But I think this time around, to the extent that we even start quantitative tightening, we're going to pivot immediately to quantitative easing. I don't think the Fed is going to wait around. I think when it hits the fan and everything starts to implode, the Fed is going to quickly reverse course. They're not going to think about it. The minute the Fed takes its foot off the brake, it's going to immediately slam the gas pedal to the metal. It's not going to coast for a while. It's going to panic because the markets are going to be tanking. The economy is going to be tanking. And gold still doesn't get that. These gold investors still think that inflation is under control. And again, that's why the long end of the bond curve did not get hit as hard. That's why 30-year yields did not hit a new high. It was just the two-year, the five-year, and the 10-year because everybody is confident that the Fed has got this under control. And that's why gold is going down or went down. But once that confidence is lost, and it will be lost, The only question is how quickly, but once it's lost, then you're going to start to see 
bigger declines in the 30-year, then you're going to start to see the yield curve widening between the 10s and the 30s. And at the same time, I would expect to see the price of gold soaring. Just like a bond crash, I think, is around the corner, the opposite of a crash is coming in the gold market. Because when investors have that wily coyote moment in bonds and realize where they're standing and bonds crash, the opposite happens in gold. Because when you are overestimating the Fed's ability to contain inflation, not only do you overpay for bonds, but you underpay for gold because you don't realize the degree to which inflation is going to be a problem. And if you don't know inflation is a problem, then you don't feel a need to hedge. Well, once investors come face to face with the ugly reality of how bad inflation is going to be, not only are they going to dump those U.S. treasuries, but they're going to buy gold as fast as they can, and the price is going to go straight up. And while I'm talking about gold, I want to address a topic that a lot of people have emailed me about ever since it became a news story, and that's Putin deciding to peg the ruble to gold. And a lot of people are under the impression that Russia is now on some type of a gold standard. The ruble is backed by gold. And that's not what's actually going on. Although I do believe that ultimately that could be where Russia is headed to have a gold-backed ruble. But that's not where they are now. But they are taking some steps in that direction. So let me explain exactly what Russia did do with respect to gold and the ruble. So the Russian government announced that it would buy gold from Russian banks at a fixed price of 5,000 rubles per gram. And therefore, if you're a Russian bank and you have gold and you need ruble liquidity and you can't get it, you can get it by going to the central bank and selling gold for 5,000 rubles a gram. Now, what does that equate to in U.S. dollars per ounce? The current price of gold is about $1,920 an ounce. If you take that 5,000 rubles per gram and multiply it by just over 31 to get ounces and then apply the exchange rate to the ruble, that would equate to $1,866.18 an ounce. So in other words, the Russian government is willing to pay almost market today for an ounce of gold. And certainly, if you can buy gold below market, why not buy it? And that's what the Russian government is willing to do. But this is not the same thing as backing the ruble with gold because it would have to be the other way. What the Russian government would have to say is the ruble is redeemable in a fixed quantity of gold, meaning that if you have a ruble, it will always be worth a certain quantity of gold. So if they said that we will give you a gram of gold for 5,000 rubles, and so no matter what, you can always exchange 5,000 rubles for a gram of gold, if they did that, they would be effectively establishing a gold standard. That is not what they did. They're simply saying that we will buy gold from a central bank for a fixed quantity of rubles. So if the ruble price crashes, nobody is going to want to sell the Russian government their gold for a very low price. They would just sell it in the market. But the effect that this is going to have is going to be, I believe, to cause the price of gold to rise if the ruble rises against the dollar. And the ruble is actually already rising against the dollar. Believe it or not, the exchange rate between the dollar and the ruble is now 4% higher in the ruble's favor than it was 
before the invasion of the Ukraine. Now, initially, when the sanctions were first announced, the ruble got killed. It almost dropped by 40%. And in fact, President Biden was bragging about how much value the ruble had lost because of the sanctions. And I remember thinking, when you live in a glass White House, you shouldn't be throwing stones because eventually it's going to be the U.S. dollar that crashes when the world sanctions us by moving away from the U.S. dollar as the reserve currency. And maybe Russia is the one that's leading the charge. But that entire loss has been erased and the ruble is now higher than it was before the invasion and before the sanctions. Now, of course, the ruble is still a lot lower than it was a year ago. The ruble had been losing value long before these sanctions ever came around. In fact, I think the sanctions probably made the bottom for the ruble, and that was it. And now the ruble is in a new bull market, and that means the price of gold is going to go higher It would have gone higher anyway, but here's why. As the value of the ruble rises against the dollar, you may create a situation where the government of Russia is now buying gold at a premium because let's say the Russian ruble rises by 10% against the US dollar. All else being equal, that would mean that the Russian government was paying $2,052.60 for an ounce of gold. Well, if gold is $1,920 an ounce, which is the current price, and the Russian government has got a bid in the market at $2,052, and it's telling banks that we will buy your gold for $2,052, well, what are Russian banks going to do? They're going to want to go into the market and buy gold at $1,920 an ounce and immediately turn around and sell it to the Russian government and make a profit. And so if the ruble continues to strengthen then that automatically puts upward pressure on the price of gold because it creates an arbitrage opportunity for Russian banks to buy gold and to sell it to the Russian government. And of course, what this also does is refute the argument that Russia was going to be forced to sell gold to deal with the negative economic consequences of these sanctions. Not only isn't Russia selling gold, they're buying more. Right now, they're trying to buy it at a discount, but ultimately, they're going to be paying a premium to buy gold because they know how much more valuable gold is going to be in the future, and they want to buy as much as they can, especially if their goal is to one day have a gold-backed ruble, then the best way to do that is to increase the amount of gold that you own, and that is exactly what they're doing. By the way, what Russia is not doing is buying Bitcoin. And I know that when Russia made this announcement that they were going to be buying gold at 5,000 rubles a gram, and of course, they also talked about demanding payment for their oil and their natural gas in gold. Also, they want to be paid in rubles, but they'll also take gold and a few other key currencies The one currency they won't accept, of course, is the U.S. dollar. But when they made that announcement, they also mentioned other possible alternatives and they threw out Bitcoin almost as an afterthought. And immediately the Bitcoin pumpers got a hold of that and they started touting the fact that Russia was considering selling its oil for Bitcoin. It didn't consider that for a minute. I mean, I wouldn't call Putin a genius, but he's also not an idiot. And you'd have to be an idiot to sell your valuable oil for worthless Bitcoin. He's not an idiot. He wants real money, hard money. And in Putin's mind, that's gold. Oh, and by the way, in talking about Russia going back 
to a gold standard, meaning that its currency would be backed by gold. I got into this argument on Twitter because I read this story about the Luna Foundation and they issue these altcoins and they have a stable coin, UST, which is the T stands for Terra, but it's a stable coin, which is one-to-one with the US dollar, except unlike Tether, it's not actually backed by dollars. Now, I don't even think Tether is backed by dollars either, but it pretends to be backed by dollars. But Terra, the Terra stable coin, they're not even pretending to be backed by dollars. They have some other kind of scheme in order to maintain this one-to-one relationship with the US dollar. But the news story that attracted my attention was the fact that they're buying all of these Bitcoins because they want to have a big reserve for this UST coin and they want the reserve to include Bitcoin. So in other words, this particular coin would be backed by Bitcoin rather than US dollars. And in the minds of a lot of these Bitcoin pumpers, this is the equivalent of a modern day gold standard only using Bitcoin, meaning that Bitcoin is going to act as the reserve for a cryptocurrency, just like gold acted as the reserve for US dollars. That is not what's going on here. I mean, first of all, if they really wanted to back this cryptocurrency with something that was an equivalent to gold, why not just use gold itself? I mean, why settle for Bitcoin? Just back UST with gold, and that would be more similar to when the dollar was backed by gold because you would have a currency backed by real money. So if the Luna Foundation is creating a cryptocurrency and they want to back it with real money, you back it with gold. You don't back it with Bitcoin. But of course, having a currency, a cryptocurrency backed by Bitcoin makes no sense whatsoever. I mean, if you want Bitcoin, just use Bitcoin. Why settle for some currency that's backed by Bitcoin when you can use Bitcoin? Now, the reason that people chose to use paper currencies rather than gold was because using the paper currency was more convenient than using the gold itself. But the paper currency had no value except that it was backed by gold. It was the gold backing that gave it value But what the paper added was convenience. It was easier to transact in paper than gold. And so that's why there was gold backing. But if you're saying that Bitcoin solves the problem of gold not being easy to use because you can break Bitcoin up into tiny little Satoshis and you can buy a cup of coffee. So if Bitcoin solves that problem, then what's the point of using Bitcoin to back another cryptocurrency, just use the Bitcoin. It doesn't create any extra level of convenience unless you want to admit that Bitcoin isn't all that convenient, that it's slow, that it's expensive to use. And so it's really not cut out to be a digital currency. It's more suited to be the reserve from another digital currency that is more efficient to use. Well, if that's the case, then there's no value whatsoever in Bitcoin. So just get rid of it. Just use the other currency that's more convenient and that's faster and cheaper. And to say, well, it's got Bitcoin as a reserve, Bitcoin has no value in that case. When the dollar was backed by gold, gold actually had value. Yes, maybe the dollar made it more convenient to transact in gold, but gold as a commodity had value. Bitcoin as a cryptocurrency has no value if you're going to admit that it's such a poor cryptocurrency that you can't even use it, that you need to use it as the backing for another crypto. 
that solves the problems that Bitcoin created, you've acknowledged that there's no point in having Bitcoin in the first place. So the people that are trying to claim, oh yes, we're just going to back these other currencies with Bitcoin the way paper currencies used to be backed by gold, that's a bunch of nonsense. But what will happen and what could happen is that we can take these cryptocurrencies and back them by gold. Just like paper currencies were once backed by gold, digital currencies can be backed by gold. And then those digital currencies will have all the convenience of the blockchain, all the benefits that supposedly Bitcoin offered but failed to deliver. You preserve all that without sacrificing the stability of gold. Then you actually have a store of value. Then you actually have a medium of exchange. The reality is though, right now, people will say, well, why aren't companies doing that? Why don't we have a lot of cryptocurrencies backed by gold? And that's because the market isn't there yet. People don't want that. People don't want cryptocurrencies to actually use them as a medium of exchange. They don't want cryptocurrencies as a store of value. They want cryptocurrencies to get rich. They want to trade them. They want to hold them. They don't want to use them as real money. And so that's why you're not seeing a lot of gold-backed cryptocurrencies because A, the public doesn't want them, and B, there's no incentive to create them because you can't get rich creating a gold-backed currency. Why not? Well, because you actually need the gold. The way people get rich today in the crypto community is they create a token out of thin air that costs nothing, and then they hype it up, and then they cash out. They're giant pump and dumps. You can't do that with gold. You can't make a lot of money issuing a gold-backed cryptocurrency because you need to buy the gold to back the currency. And of course, the people who are buying a gold-backed cryptocurrency, the only thing they can make is the appreciation of gold. Well, that pales in comparison to the pie-in-the-sky forecast for how rich you're going to get by buying the latest shitcoin. So that's the reason that you don't have gold-backed cryptos yet because the market isn't there yet because the market doesn't actually want an alternative to the U.S. dollar, but eventually they will. And when they do, they're not going to turn to Bitcoin or any cryptocurrency that claims to be backed by Bitcoin. They're going to look for real money, which would be gold or crypto or sovereign currencies that are backed by gold. And who knows what of those currencies may be the ruble.